Hello and good evening. My name is Josh and I'm joined this week by James and this is Deep V's, the show where we talk about V-shaped recoveries. Just kidding, we talk about societal turning points. Right now we are in the societal turning point, coronavirus 2020. James, how you doing this evening? Hey Josh, how you doing? Corona Chan is here to stay. <laughs> uh, so it would seem. Uh, perhaps coronavirus twenty twenty one is the next societal turning point. Uh, do you? Does that seem to be a uh, projection? Why stop at coronavirus twenty twenty one, Josh? This is going to be one of those land before time esque sequels. We're going to have coronavirus twenty twenty two, coronavirus twenty twenty three. It'll be uh, you know kind of like cyberpunk twenty seventy seven. What was it? Yeah, twenty. Yep. Uh, where it's not it's not finished when it comes out, so they need to uh, perfect it next year, re-release it. Yes, that... they'll finish it about twenty seventy seven. Goodness gracious! And here I thought Hollywood was bad at their sequels. So a year ago, almost exactly a year ago, I had you on to talk about uh, societal turning points. We talked specifically about the Boogaloo and red flag laws. Had a bunch of predictions, bunch of observations, and now you're back to see how uh, how exactly the last year panned out um if you'd sum it up in a few words how did the last year pan out who lad um (laughs) it's been a hell of a year uh 2020 defied all expectations uh i think the y2k meme is probably the most accurate this is what y2k was supposed to be like now okay so you you you're a little bit older than me you lived through the y2k thing and like well you know you were not a child through the y2k thing uh, from my understanding, it's just that all computer records and the society would collapse because uh, of a round, like, you know, the digital error with the 1999 to 2000. What what was the actual like, you know, buzz around it? How how did people feel about Y2K at the time? Well, it was just, I mean, it was supposed to shut down modern society. Was essentially it um, by you know the the rounding error with the dates and. It was a, a vulnerability that only happened in a very small percentage of computers that were done on a very specific system, and it was something they knew about way in advance. So, you know, the only people who were affected by Y2K were like, you know, your grandpa with his first computer. Um, okay. But the fear was that modern society would cease to exist. Like, basically, the power would turn off. The TV is going to turn off. You know, everything's going to stop working that relies on computers. At the time, you know, in the year 2000, computers were new and they had become a fairly big deal. Uh, and, you know, we didn't want, we had built our society around them. We didn't want to lose all of that. And we thought that it would be world shattering if we did. Okay, that that makes a lot of sense. That adds up, and um, you know, if something like that were to happen to computers nowadays, it'd be a, it'd be world shattering. I'd, I'd imagine. Yes, absolutely. But instead of uh, a computer virus, it's an, a human virus that has <laughs> shut down the world. Yep. So we we've lost modern society, and it's not just your grandpa that's affected this time. Is that, is that what I'm hearing? Well, uh, it should be, but yes. Um, it is not just your grandpa that's being affected this time. It is as if we had, um, during Y2K gone around and made sure that everybody had to shut their computers off because some people might be affected. 
Uh, but then they shut them back on like the next morning, right? Yeah, I mean, or turn, as long turn as your back computer on those, had yeah. a mask on. <laughs> uh, okay, so so regarding the you know progression of society, modern society, um, in in any large scale terms, uh, can you make any statements about how it's um, you know what the state of it now it is now compared to the beginning of the year? Uh, what, what's happened to America as a as a whole as a um, you know modern society? Well, last time we were together, we talked about everything moving left, and I would say that we have had a seismic shift left. Um, it has been incredible uh, how quickly we've gotten there. When you know universal health care hit, you know, quote unquote universal health care. We all know it's not real universal health care, but it's not real affordable care or whatever. Is yeah, yeah. Um, but anyways, uh, I thought that that was a fairly large seismic shift in American politics and American culture. But what we've seen with COVID, uh, I would say the only event in American history, there, there's two that I would say affected the country this much. It would be the Civil War and the Great Depression. I would say this is even um, more transformative than World War II. Okay, okay. that's uh, Those are some some pretty grandiose statements right there um where so so to point that out where um where are some of these substantial uh, you know, changes what how where what do you point to specifically to uh to support that this is uh, possibly bigger than world war ii in in the lives of americans well i think that the reason that i make the comparisons i do is because unlike world war ii this has shut industries down completely um, which is like the Great Depression and the Civil War. Um, that's why I put it on the same level. Essentially, okay. the seismic shift that we've made at this point is the government has stepped in and they've decided that there's some people who are going to win and there's some people who are going to lose and they're going to decide who those people are. And it's all under the context and pretext of a virus, coronavirus. But... It's similar to things that have happened in the past and will probably happen again. Okay, that, that is a good point. Where in 2020, um, many industries uh, did shut down or were shut down uh, for periods of time that had you know, gone on without uh, discontinuity for uh, you know, decades and decades and decades. Um, if you look at what happened to uh, professional sports um, the, throughout the, the spring and summer, and even now, really, uh, the, the state of them. If um, I, one, one that comes to mind for me, because it's something I follow with the comic book industry, is that that was shut down for the, the course of a few months because the distributors just <laughs> there was there's a monopoly monopoly on distribution, and they just shut down for um, like a few months. Uh, and, and there's uh, you know a bunch of industries, and like you were saying, the government has kind of given. Um, decided who who wins and who loses uh, so a lot of those big corporations like uh, you know the amazons and walmarts of the world and the the um, big tech have had every advantage now and every um you know easy uh, easy leg up whereas uh, everyone else not quite the case well and and it's it goes even further than that josh it's you know the the restaurant industry right now like it will never come back the uh tourism industry it will never come back like these are things that we have changed forever um 
I, I hope that you had a good time in 2019 and you got to go to lots of movies and lots of sporting events and uh, hang out with your friends at the bar and go out and eat without um, a bubble on. But uh, we're not going to be able to do those things uh, in that context ever again because of coronavirus and because of the things that they have enacted and which historically aren't going to go away without a boogaloo. Okay. Uh, I, I want to dig into some of the small business stuff a little bit more um, first. Uh, so you, you work for and previously co-owned a small bu- business. Uh, how, how is that doing through the, through the pandemic? Well, you know, uh, my business is based in home repair, uh, remodeling. Um, so actually our business boomed this year. This was a great year for remodelers. This was a great year for Lowe's and Home Depot and Menards. Everybody was at home. Everybody had to sit there and stare at their walls and had to stand in their yard and look at their house. And all the things that they hated about it before became unbearable. So, you know, they spent their stimulus checks on things like that. Whether they did it themselves or they called somebody like me, they got work done this year. Um, I'm more worried about businesses like mine in the future. Uh, the businesses that got killed, though, um, were all the service industries based around you know personal human to human contact. Uh, you know all those restaurants and bars. There's a lot of them that you know have shut down and will never come back. Like they're it's a it's been transformative for the industry i think it's going to affect even commercial uh, real estate for a while because a lot of restaurants took up a lot of room in a lot of these uh downtown areas they had a lot of the prime oh, yeah. spots and we're paying premium rent premium rent for it mm-hmm a hundred percent i think that's uh it's it's been a more gradual thing than I expected with the restaurant industry, with uh, the um, that being set back or collapsed in such a way. But it's I think it's more noticeable on a person to person level where how unwilling other people are, uh, how willing some people are that I, that I talk to, to like go out and eat in a restaurant or go out to a bar or something um, for for the like few options that there are that or the limited options that are, there are. Um, the people's attitude towards it has changed so much and things like say for example getting only carry out or delivery uh it shifts the service industry from having waiter and waitress jobs available to uh, it being either none of that or um completely just delivery drivers like the Grubhub and Uber Eats which are uh, it's interesting to see them now um capitalize on that and advance their business models where Uber Eats keeps advertising some some sort of membership program. So, you know, one another, another subscription program. I forget. I don't know exactly how it works, but, um, they're that, that, uh, every, all the whole service industry has shifted towards that side of things. And it's not at the van- advantage of restaurants, um, at all. No, but it is at the advantage of literally all of Silicon Valley, which, oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, surprise, Uber surprise. And, uh, Grubhub and DoorDash are all Silicon Valley companies, huh? So th- yeah. Now that you mention it. Funny how that works and funny how the people that are most suppressive of alternative information, ideas, and solutions for things like coronavirus just so happen to be fellow Silicon Valley companies like Facebook. 
Yes. And uh, so, so with that, with um, uh, the, the presence of Silicon Valley and all of, um, all of what they're doing and with uh, what you're saying before, the, the shift to the left, the, the cultural shift to the left, which has um, gone unabated and uh, just down a down a comically slippery slope more than, a, more than we could expect in the last year. Um, is is the boogaloo happening? Has it happened? How how are we reconciling these uh, these events and these divides um, in our country? Well, uh, not very well. Um, <laughs> I you know that's why I another one of the predictions that we made uh, or that I made actually um, the last time we spoke was that you know I thought the boogaloo was going to start in the coast. Um, I thought that that was where you were going to see a lot of the conflict and that, you know, in the heartland here in the Midwest, we were going to be fine. Um, and now I, you know, I think this is going to be the place where there's probably more conflict than anywhere. Um, obviously the coasts are having their own problems. Um, there's been a lot of things going on, uh, just countrywide. Uh, but, uh, I have been personally shocked by how far left the heartland especially has moved and you know how poorly we're handling it um you know part of the reason that people don't want to go out to eat is because somebody might see you and they might say something and then you going to dinner or to a party or out for a drink might cost you your job. Uh, so elaborate. Well, I, you broke, you know, you broke the coronavirus okay. uh, recommendation. You broke the restrictions. You're killing yes. grandma. So you, now, you know, it used to be that you at least had to say or do something salacious politically, you know, maybe you had to make a donation to Prop 8 or something like that before you got strung up by the job lynch mom. But now all you have to do is go out and have a couple drinks with your friends and you are literally a terrorist and threatening people's lives. You know, I think that's probably the worst way we could have handled this. And, <laughs> uh, you know, we are doubling down on that more and more every day. Yeah. What has your experience personally been with this? Uh, do you know people who have been outed like this? Have you yourself been outed like this? I, uh, well, I've surely outed myself uh, tons of times. <laughs> um, most of my negative interaction has been on Facebook uh, for whatever reason. I'm not one of those people folks yell at in public. Um, I just never have been. Uh, but on Facebook, you definitely get uh, a lot of the chatter. And then where I've seen it in my personal life is more not outright hostility towards me, but passive aggressiveness or family members and extended family members, in-laws and things like that, that are canceling events and things like that. Um, the silence or absence is is deafening in a lot of these events. Um, when you get together for Christmas, it, you know, when people do or don't come, it says a lot. Yeah, definitely. And, um, are, are you willing to share, or do you have any commentary on what, um, 
you know your your family Christmas is going to look like? Well, uh, my family Christmas, the whether we get together or not, isn't going to have a lot to do with COVID. Um, we have traditional problems in my family, not these new age okay. twenty twenty problems like COVID. Um, <laughs> you know, sometimes there's probably a few times when we would have wanted to cough on each other. So, uh, you know, so be it. We we would get together regardless of this. Um, where I've seen it more is in my in laws. Uh, we were supposed to have a you know, our traditional yearly get together and it was canceled because a couple of the people who were going to come tested positive for COVID, I think two or three weeks before it happened. So, you know, outside the quarantine, outside the recommendations. It's like twice as long as the CDC recommendation for, uh, you know, any sort of uh, isolation. Okay. Go on. Absolutely. Which is, was my initial reaction was, well, you know, who cares? This It's two weeks from now. They'll be fine by then. This, this shouldn't have changed the plans. But, you know, there are a few members of the family that are uncomfortable with it. And that was all the excuse that they needed to shut it down. And that's where that's where this is so insidious. And, and that's where how we're handling it is just awful on so many different levels because – this is how you have true, oh, just, God, what's the word I'm looking for? Atrocity. This is how you work your way up to an atrocity, um, is these little steps that you'll take where you will dehumanize and you will cut people off from each other to the point where they won't see this as a human being that they're stringing up to a tree or lining up against a wall anymore. Now you're just a MAGA hat. And that's exactly what we're doing. So, so with the instance of uh, in-laws canceling a, um, a yearly get-together, wh- I don't know if this uh, would apply to your situation at all, but do you, do you think it is often the case uh, for the sort of situation that they just kind of didn't really care about extended family or want to see them anyways. And this is just another excuse on uh, like that, that makes them feel like they can get away with the, or like another, just an excuse to uh, cancel an event that they didn't really want to do anyways. Or is it like, what do you, you know if that's part of the rationale or uh, what the, the whole mentality is there? I'm sure that there's a lot of that going around out in the country right now. Um, however, with this particular family, no, actually I, I truly believe that they are, uh, they're one of those old school tight knit families. They, they love being around each other. The, there are a lot of sisters and they get along really well. And then all of the in-laws for the most part get along really well. We don't have any uncles that show up drunk in their boxer shorts and expose themselves to the children. So, you know, everybody's a big happy family, but I think what it is more with them is the ones that take it more seriously that think that those of us that aren't wearing masks or that are getting together are being cavalier with other people's lives. They saw an opportunity to exert their will and they did. And that's what I'm talking about with it being so insidious and awful and leading to atrocities is that's all this is now. That's all we're going to do from here on out is find more excuses to exert our will on each other until going out to dinner is illegal 
or going to a party at your friend's house is illegal. Um, and going to church is illegal. Yeah, that was one of the most shocking things, really, is uh, uh, how how immediately and just conclusively that churches were shut down. Um, so, so I'm hearing a lot of things here, um, and a lot of it looks like political division, and or well, okay. So you're pointing out that a, a lot of times it's easy to. Um, point at a person as being uh, a MAGA hat or some abstracted uh, opposing political ideology that they can just disagree with and, you know, then they're not a person anymore. Or or that, um, yeah, pretty much along those lines that, that uh, if, depending on the, the situation or the politics or any, um, yeah, you know, disagreement in general, if you feel like you are in the right, you can uh, impose some uh, some will or some authority or privilege or whatever on other people. Um, how, how do you see the political division like this adding up? Um, is it is, is that what's going on? It's just uh, abstracting people to some opposing viewpoint. And um, that's that's the end of our human interactions right there. Well, I mean, it 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 will be for a little while until we start following through on all of that. Like what, what we're doing right now is you're abstracting people, but more importantly, you're making them a threat. So, you know, this spring silence was violence. Um, now, you know, your mouth is a loaded weapon. So they can be justified as they start clamping down tighter and tighter. So Facebook is now, censoring you because you don't want to wear a mask um, or because you don't trust the election or, or whatever it may be. And your neighbor decides, well, he's not wearing a mask. So now we got to make it where he has to wear a mask, no matter where he is. Even if he's in his own business, he has to wear a mask. And not only does he have to wear a mask, but, but he's got to make sure everybody else wears a mask too. And And if he doesn't, he's a threat. He's not, you know, a jaywalker. He's not a a five mile an hour over the speed limit. He is a clear and present danger. And that's, that's the unique part about this that is, that is so dangerous to me is that we have a very clear formula here for how we go from we disagree with these people to we need to put these people in camps. Okay, I want to touch back on that in a minute, but uh, first, first I want to step back and address the whole coronavirus uh, COVID-19 question. Um, just to get uh, you know, a bit more clarity and, and perspective here, um, do you believe the virus exists? Do you believe the, the disease exists? To what extent, to what, what danger or threat do you think it poses? Uh, how realistic do you think the statistics published by CDC, WHO, and JHU have been, um, and whatnot? Um, what, what's your general stance there? Well, I, you know, I, I don't think it's a hoax in the sense that I do think that there is an actual coronavirus. There's a COVID. There's people who are dying from it. It's definitely happening. Um, I think the numbers are inflated. I think they're being dishonestly interpreted and presented. I think that when the mask has fallen off, um, you've seen that. And it is hilarious how quick 
they are to silence an expert if the expert <laughs> oh, disagrees yeah. with the official narrative. Well, the the strange thing too is when it's a uh, uh, like an internal expert, like a uh, say the lady at the WHO who is talking about um, the asymptomatic cases not uh, being as likely to spread, or the uh, Johns Hopkins. Um, what was it economics some some economics department assistant director who was talking about who came out the big paper uh, uh, looking at the, the covid death stats and like how, how there's a apparently not an excess of deaths this year um or like nothing outside of uh, you know statistical norms and um like a bunch of these things where they are within the the core organizations that uh, you know are, are um you know, they're reporting all the data and uh, effectively weaving a narrative and they're the ones who are also uh, immediately shut down. Yes, yeah, 100%. And that actually, the John Hopkins one, is the one that I was referring to. Um, you know, that's what the conspiracy theorists said. Um, that's what they were ridiculed for saying was that wait until there are no deaths from the flu this year. And then uh, a gal who is, for all intents and purposes, smart and an expert like a a, uh, johns hopkins university economics department assistant director i I would call that uh you know an industry (laughs) industry expert in uh, statistics right yeah absolutely she knows what she's talking about she's not me she's not you she's not somebody who is a quote-unquote armchair quarterback on facebook she's not me and aaron like looking at the cdc website and making uh excel (laughs) spreadsheet uh, plots and like ranting on a podcast she's like actually has credentials to what she's talking about and a background to interpret the data with a bit more sophistication yeah and then she walks out here and says what everybody knew who had you know two eyes and an honest brain was going to happen and that is that you know, all the deaths that normally would have happened for other things happened because of COVID this year, which is an indictment of our government officials, our health officials, and the exact reason why so many people are so angry about this and it's being so misrepresented in the media right now that, you know, I don't see us coming back from it. I don't see anything productive coming from any of this. Um, and I think that we've accelerated the timeline for the Boogaloo by quite a bit. So you've mentioned a couple of times that this is not the way to respond to the virus or the situation in the world right now. And um, what I guess the, the general question is, what do you think the right way to respond is? Say, say we're back in February and March and April and then May and June with the, the um uh, racial tensions with the death of George Floyd. Um, how exactly do we and the media and the government um, and public health officials respond to it such that we don't end up in the situation that we're in now with uh, unbelievable amounts of uh, political, personal uh, division and um, uh, you know, media uh, monopoly on narrative? Well, I mean, you have to respond to it the way the country has responded to it in pretty much every positive experience that the United States of America has ever had. And that is solidarity and positivity. So, you know, instead of panicking and telling everybody to, to be scared of this and that, you know, we don't know what this is all about, but, 
we need to make these very decisive moves based on limited information. Do what Trump did to start with and say, listen, we're going to shut down travel from China and from foreign countries. We're going to have a stringent screening process to make sure that we're not allowing any new viruses across our borders temporarily until we get an idea of what we're dealing with here. Other than that, stay home, stay safe, you know, be careful if you want to, but other than that, go about your daily lives and let's see what this is all about and let's get a good grasp of it before we make any drastic moves. And, you know, trust the American people to make good decisions and preach again, calm, bravery, you know, a challenge to be accepted, not this world ending event to be scared of. I think the fear mongering and the panic is the exact opposite of what you want in these kinds of situations. The, the panic is what astounds me because the, the number one rule for any emergency situation is not to panic. If there's a fire in a building, you're not going to run and run over people and shove people out of the way to get out of the building. No, you're supposed to, uh, you know, calmly walk in single file line and uh, get everyone out safely. It's, it, it, I feel like it, it's not the same, you know, situation. It's not a perfect analogy, but the idea of an emergency and having a response uh, that that is, um, you know, uh, inflamed panic. That's um, that that seems very strange. It seems like an issue to me immediately. Well, hundred percent. I mean, it's to your analogy. It's like being deathly afraid of the fire when you're five feet from an open door. Um, you know, you have to put the fear in its place. You know, you don't need to be worried about a fire that's three miles away from you. You have about a 0.05% chance of that becoming a problem for you. But if you have a fire in your bedroom, then you probably need to be worried about it. Um, and, and it's the same deal with COVID. If you are a 75 year old diabetic, you, you probably better be pretty fucking worried about COVID because your outcome is not likely to be good. It's still, you know, 80 or 90% that it's going to be fine. You're not going to be that greatly affected. But, you know, we're talking 10 or 20% of you are, are going to take the big L on this one. And, you know, that's a, that's a respectable percentage. That, that's something to be, you know, very cautious of. That, that's where you're going to want to start taking measures. If I were a diabetic, if I were extremely overweight, if I were really old, if I were a cancer survivor, if I had AIDS, um, you know, I would be, or HIV, um, I would be, you know, deathly afraid of this and I would be taking every precaution and I wouldn't be hanging out with people. I wouldn't be going around without a mask on, yada, yada, yada. But if you are under the age of 65 and if you're relatively healthy, this is less dangerous than getting in your car and driving down the highway. Yeah, I think we talked about this before where some, um, uh, some automobile um, accident and fatality stats line up uh, relatively closely with some uh, coronavirus uh, you know, illness and death statistics. Uh, so far as like uh, probability and um, the risk to yourselves and others wise. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of very um, vanilla stuff that lines up pretty well with COVID. Uh, and that's why <laughs> it's so 
scary that that we have gone this far for this little. Um, because if you can justify all of this over something like COVID, then you know why couldn't you justify any number of other things? You know what is football worth the risk really? Like, look, what's the percentage of football players that have positive outcomes in their lives? What's the percentage of them that have, you know, negative effects on their brains? So, oh, yeah. we well, just can't at, let uh, people really, play football, right? That's the direction society was moving in for a while. Is uh, And I think football has... Uh, do, you, do you have any... Like, do you, do you know for kids these days whether football is as popular as it was 10 years ago or oh, 20 years not, ago? Or if, it? if it looks like the next generation and... 10 or 15 years of uh, professional football players will be the same in any regards? No, no, absolutely not. The next generation of professional football players may be the last. Yeah, so that's we were already on that trajectory. And then um, if we you know, look at these things from the same uh, standpoint of public health and risk management, then... Um, you know, then the arguments made already, where th- then football's outlawed and the the whole CTE issues and uh, you know the physical injuries and whatnot are may make it an uh, you know, unreasonable risk uh, compared to those standards. And it, it'll be like that with any number of uh, you know competitive professional sports. Uh, I'm thinking about uh, bodybuilding and the, the abuse of steroids, or um, you know the strength sports, uh, strongman and powerlifting, and some injuries that might come out of that, and things like that, where. Um, you know, just, they they can be deemed unnecessary risks and just not be uh, not be real sports anymore. If the same the same type of logic is applied and the same movement goes uh, or same progression uh, keeps going, one hundred percent. And none of this happens in a vacuum. So you know, it, it it's just like one of the things that I preach about with the COVID laws is we we started this journey with seatbelt laws and smoking laws and different things like that. And COVID is just another iteration of that. So with the football, the, you know, the moms not wanting their kids to get concussions and all of the, the worries about long-term effects of playing football and hitting each other is what started the decline. And then COVID is just another, you know, bird of a different color, but, it's the same fucking bird and it's there. They feed into each other. So as we get more and more of these, it's just going to accelerate the collapse of all of these things that we know and love. And uh, with football, especially now that um, after the, uh, you know, say for example, a bunch of States now, like California and New York don't have open uh, football stadiums. They're, they're playing their games without, um, without, uh, audiences and that's um i think some california teams are actually playing in arizona uh yep. so w- with that and with um the the temporary hold on sports and a very slow season uh I, that's def- definitely accelerated um any decline that professional sports has had like professional sports and um televised sports have had uh you know progress or accelerated that, that decline quite a bit uh, and I want to ask you, you too, um, if you had had a son or if in the future you have a son, would you let him play football? Oh, 100%. But, you know, there's a lot of things that I'll let my daughter do that <laughs> people think are crazy. Um, I'm more of an old school 50s parent than anything. I absolutely want her to run around and skin her knees up and fall down and climb things and have a great time. Like... 
I am the probably a little too far on the opposite end of the spectrum when it comes to putting kids in a bubble. Yeah, and I well, like everything you mentioned there uh, is is perfectly normal. It's good for kids to be outside and playing. Like I grew up climbing trees and falling off bikes and stuff. It's uh, you know, I I'm glad I grew up like that because I I feel like that's not as common these days with uh you know the um the amount of risk that parents are willing to take are willing to uh, uh, let, their, let their children take. 100%. I mean, and it's, you know, if we want to relate it back to COVID, you know, my daughter, she's going to wear a helmet when she's on her bike, but I'm not going to have her out there looking like a, she's in a BMX event. You know, she's not going to be wearing a chest pad and full gear to go ride her bike down the sidewalk on my street. She's going to have a helmet on. And if she really worried about skinning her knees, she might have knee pads on, but I'm probably going to make fun of her if she does that. <laughs> Good stuff. Um, so I want to step back a second. You, uh, We talked a little bit about Donald Trump's initial response to the coronavirus back with the, uh, what was it, March 11th address uh, where he shut down international travel. Um, from there onwards, what do you think about uh, the President Trump's response to the coronavirus and uh, good, bad, should have done more or less, uh, good from a uh, PR point of view or not, um, interactions with uh, you know, Fauci and governors and uh, mayors. How, how do you think everything has panned out over the last nine months? Well, you know, I think it's really hard to say that he really had much of an effect on it. Um, you know, it doesn't feel like Trump's response to this. You know, it, I think that if anything, he just greased the gears for things like the industries that retooled themselves to produce breathing machines and masks and just getting the country ready for it, I think was probably the greatest effect that he had on it. And, and you know, he did an okay job. I mean, he, he obviously has overseen in some way, shape, or form one of the quickest vaccines that the world has ever seen. Um, now I don't really like that. He has done <laughs> that. I don't like how much he's pushing the vaccine. That's something I wish he would back down on, um, and go back to his, you know, March attitude about things where it's more of a, don't worry about it. Um, you know, I, it, but <sighs> I think a lot of the response hasn't been up to Trump. Um, I think that a lot of the bad things that have happened have been laid at his feet, but I think that the response has been almost entirely on a state to state basis by the governors and the legislatures in those states. And I think those are the people that need their performance rated far more than anything that Trump did on when it comes to coronavirus. And from my observations and the news I followed throughout the year, I would agree that um, pretty much everything substantial that occurred regarding uh, coronavirus response, um, whether it be uh, from testing and vaccine distribution to um, uh, the, the treatment approval and um, then, of course, restrictions and lockdowns and stay-at-home orders, uh, that's pretty much all been at either the, the governor or a county or mayoral level or, or at the FDA, for example, rather than um, Donald Trump himself. Well, and on, on that, I'll give him an A plus because 
a federal mask mandate or any kind of federal mandates when it comes to coronavirus is the worst possible outcome. So I'll give him that, that he didn't, he did as little of that as possible. Yep. And, uh, with, um, tentatively Joe Biden coming into office in a few weeks, uh, do you think that he will try and impose a federal mask mandate and how exactly that might be enforced if, uh, if that is the case? I think that they will probably try to do it in steps. Um, I don't think it'll start as a mandate. I think it'll start as a quote unquote recommendation in the same way that having your drinking age at 21 is a recommendation and they'll just squeeze tighter and tighter until it's a de facto mandate. Um, but yeah, absolutely. I think he's going to push, I think they're going to push hard on a lot of this stuff. I don't think any of it's going away. I think that they've seen the chink in the armor, you know, those cracks where you've got all these people who in a lot of other ways wouldn't let you do anything like this, but now for whatever reason, when it comes to this tiny little invisible, invisible enemy that they can't see and that they don't really understand, uh, they're, they're willing to give up the farm and all of the greedy power hungry politicians that we have in our government are ready to fill that void. Okay. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, now I want to come back to something you had said earlier, um, with the, uh, the, the political division side of things and, um, some, some, um, you know, government overreach authoritarianism, what, however you want it to be framed. Um, talking about the, uh, putting people in camps, um, some, some phrasing like that. Uh, can you, can you go into what exactly you meant by that or what's, uh, the premise behind that? Well, I mean, I, I think that we're really close to it. Um, there is going to be at some point in all of this, an attempt to section off people who are quote unquote infectious. And that's, you know, how they're going to, to de facto put us in camps. Um, we're going to see, I think by the end of this, a response more akin to what China did, where they're literally going to force people to stay home for their own good against their will. Do you, do you think people will go along with that? Now, now that we have two vaccines um, approved and uh, with some level of availability in the United States, that seems like uh, supposedly the turning point where people are like, okay, life can start going back to normal. Um, do, do you think that that will end up being the progression that uh, there'll be some distribution of vaccines, life will go back to normal or people will rather uh, some population of people will be okay with life going back to normal. Um, or, or do you think that uh, things will kind of just keep continuing as they are now with uh, continued or reimposed lockdowns and restrictions? Um, or do you think people start saying no and that um, there will be some pushback to uh, a lot of these, uh, a lot of these restrictions? Well, I think that you're seeing a lot of pushback already. Um, I think uh, the, the number out here is something like 40% of the actual doctors and nurses at the hospital wouldn't take the vaccination. Um, <laughs> so you're, you're looking at some pretty substantial pushback already. But I do think that they are going to continue down this road. 
Um, I think that they've already shown us a, a number of ways in which they're going to do that. Um, and to your point, I don't think that they're saying that things are going to start to go back to normal now. Um, even if you get the vaccine, you still have to wear a mask and you still have to follow all the same regulations and guidelines that you did before you got the vaccine. So effectively what I've seen, and if 2020 has taught me anything, it is listen to what these people are saying because they're telling you the truth. What they've said is that this changes nothing. And I believe them. Yeah. So how, how I've seen it is that um, there are kind of two narratives being pushed in parallel, which are the new normal and the vaccine will let us go back to normal. And that uh, a lot of times those aren't necessarily connected, which is the uh, the tricky thing about it or what's uh, so um, you know clever or conniving about it is uh, that the we go back to normal, but that's the new normal, which includes masks and uh, you know limited limited seating at restaurants and um, you know limited seating at movie theaters and not like shaking people's hands and whatever. How, how they're um, it it's, uh, seems like these two positive things and put together they are uh, nefarious. So that's how I've seen it uh, pushed uh, through media narrative. Yeah, well, it's. I mean, they're taking advantage of a known weakness of Americans right now, and that is that we can't remember what happened three months ago. Oh God, I can't remember what happened three days ago. It's, yeah. yeah, the the how how the news has um, you know pushed topics and uh, taken advantage of memory memory holes and short term memory loss of the I guess the the you know I'll say the average American or the the news watching American is is ridiculous they they come back six months later and say oh we've done all this research and said maybe the virus could be transmitted airborne and that that was the exact same phrase the exact same uh, whatever they had back in february the information they had back in february it's where uh, there there are a number of you know there are infinite number of cases of, of that throughout the year but um it's it's ridiculous how they'll they'll do it days later or weeks later um just expecting someone to have forgotten uh you know, a news story or what happened. Well, now they do it in real time, Josh. I mean, you know, Joe Biden didn't say, I don't work for you. He, he did not say that, even though there's a video of him saying it. And they just fact check it immediately. Like they, they're counting on you reading their fact check and not watching the video. Wait, so which incident is this? Uh, what it's, was the uh, it's the fact check of Joe Biden, the I don't work for you when he was talking to, I think, a coal worker or a, or a steel plant worker or something like that about gun control and stuff like that. Oh, I do remember. Okay, yes. And they fact checked it. And if you watch the video, he says it. And the fact check is essentially, oh, it's it's missing context. It's He, he wasn't really talking to the factory worker. And it's like, no, I mean, he... He was yelling directly at the factory worker who questioned him, um, but they're going to carry his water and say that he was speaking metaphorically about the position that the factory worker was presenting, whereas everything that Trump says is literal, and you know it, 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 they do it right in your face all the time now. They don't even wait for the necessary three-day forgetful cycle. Yeah, definitely, and uh, that can be. I'm thinking back to uh, during the debate. With the, I think it's the first debate when um, the, the moderator was asking Trump, "Do you disavow white supremacy or whatever it was?" And the like, it was just a few days before that that he had, um, you know, made made some announcement of 
the the KKK as a terrorist organization was was that what it was? And yep. on numerous occasions on the past, he's on record as disavowing uh, white supremacists and white supremacy. Um, so there's like uh, it's uh, situations like that where everything is um, taken without you know historical context or precedent, taken out of context when it, with his statement that he said at the time. And um, then for Joe Biden, it's, it's uh, done to his advantage is uh, the, the trend that both of us have observed. Yeah, well, and I mean, you can see them doing it with things like the vaccine, too. Um, you know, they've got videos and clipped tweets and things of all of the liberal commentators across the country talking about how there was no way that Trump was going to get a vaccine in time for it to matter or this year and that it was idiotic to think that and we needed to treat this as a long-term problem because there was no way any vaccine was coming for at least three or four years down the road and then a vaccine came out and thank god that biden was president when it did <laughs> uh, president-elect excuse you oh well oh, oh i'm sorry did i misspeak i didn't mean to do that yeah <laughs> um <sighs> That, that's the thing too. That's another thing that's interesting is that how quickly the uh, clinical trials were were sped up to the to where they were um, accepted or the, the vaccines were accepted for emergency use because um, all all three clinical uh, or phases of clinical trials are still uh, technically ongoing for both vaccines. But um, how how quickly they were progressed so that uh, yeah so that they could get approved. And looking, you know, historically and generally, how how these things pan out, or how they um, they work, or the FDA works for proving them, where each phase is generally a you know two ish year process, and um, even sped up, you would be looking at a few years uh, until a vaccine's um, a vaccine is approved. Yet somehow, back in April, May, uh, June, that the the media started pushing the narrative that the vaccine would be the the way out of this and that uh, you know sometime early next year or by the end of the year we will have access to a vaccine and that that will uh, be the one way out of this virus as as opposed to um you know any other tactics we've taken against pandemics in the past and how all um all pro what all protocol is with the CDC and WHO yep yeah no they uh <laughs> they they carefully and lovingly craft their narrative and they get away with doing it so blatantly it's it's astounding that that sort of uh i guess prediction could come true that like it's it's before the end of the year and there are two vaccines i guess um that's uh, yeah well yeah and that's what's really scary about all of this as far as long-term effects go is we just push through a newer type of vaccine that we are not nearly as familiar with an RNA vaccine mm -hmm. um, in record time. And we're about to give it to the whole world. Yeah. What could go wrong? Yeah, that's, um, that's the concern is there's a, a lot of uh, disregard being given to the, the injecting something into your body um, in, in general uh, compared to every other you know risk and threat in your life and uh, the, the, what risk each individual person is at uh, for the virus. Um, and it, it's 
I, I'm not personally not comfortable with the levels of uncertainty and yeah, you know, the randomness we're at the, at this stage in um, everything going on. And it sounds like you, uh, you may not be either. Oh, absolutely not. And you know, the, my personal uh, prediction for the boogaloo has changed a little bit. Um, I now think that this vaccine is probably the most likely flashpoint and the specifics of that flashpoint are going to be them forcing people to take it, especially children. Yeah, that's, uh, that's strange. I, I will say, I think it's, um, might have been the Moderna one. What one of the vaccines is like recommended for eighteen and over only, or something like, or something like that. And I was I was laughing because I can see them pushing on on children soon. But but with that, with with the Boogaloo, um, to uh, lay lay the groundwork, how do you see um a Boogaloo? Uh, how do you see it being or what form do you see it taking place in? What what is what does a Boogaloo mean to you? What, what does it look like to you? Um, but before we get into how it happens. Well, now it looks a lot like um, just an armed protest. Uh, a no backed up by a lot of guns. Um, I think that for it, to be a, for it to be a true boogaloo, it needs to be an emphatic statement. It cannot be, you know, a, um, a rally or a march. It has to be you know, the armed people descending on a capital and saying, you're going to remove these restrictions and you're going to let us get back to our normal lives or we are going to shoot you. So, I mean, there, there have been a number of armed protests this year uh, back in, I want to say April, May. Uh, I think I think May there were a bunch of um, armed protests uh, in front of Capitol buildings um, regarding the lockdown restrictions. And uh, then back even before the virus with uh, MLK Day in Virginia here in Richmond, there was a, an armed protest uh, against some, um, some of the increased gun, uh, gun laws uh, or increased gun regulations, restrictions. Um, and uh, then, then to the Stop the Steal stuff, those, uh, uh, the, the, stop to, the Stop the Steal um, uh, protests and, and rallies um, in protest of uh you know alleged election fraud is that uh they weren't technically armed but there are plenty of armed people there and that that, that was you know on the the nation's capital and each of these steps along the way they're not as forceful as you're suggesting they're not you know a uh give us our rights or else situation but um there have been multiple armed protests throughout the year and you know number one uh the uh gun rally in richmond We've only had stricter gun laws in Virginia since they passed a couple things. Um, the, the coronavirus lockdown uh, protests, only stricter coronavirus lockdown restrictions since. And then um, with the Stop the Steal stuff, the Electoral College voted on Monday and they voted for Biden. So like that's uh, and the, pretty much the, the momentum of most of these investigations or court cases have pretty much either been uh, refused to be seen or not gone anywhere. So uh, how do you see progressing from what has happened this year to what you're suggesting? Well, generally, you need something really big, right? So you need people to be so unhappy that they're willing to risk their lives, which is why a lot of people say, you know, we're not at Boogaloo stage yet. 
because people are still relatively comfortable and happy, even with the lockdowns. You know, most of the people that would normally revolt and take up arms are relatively comfortable still. Um, the reason I think that will this is going to be a little different is because of the children aspect. Um, I think that's how this takes that next, next step uh, and how it becomes something that the right can no longer ignore and politely march. Um, and they're going to have to start putting some teeth behind their rhetoric when they show up at these capitals armed and, you know, force governors to do what they want them to do because these governors aren't stopping. And if they can steal elections out from under you, you can't vote them out either. There's nothing you can do but armed revolution at that point. And when people are given an option that, assuming they are given the option to either vaccinate their kid or be forced out of society or perhaps even have their child taken from them, I think that's where even if you're comfortable, you're going to be willing to risk your life for that because, you know, I have a one-year-old and I'll tell you one of the things that I've learned over the last year is I will gladly lay my life down for her and it's not even a question. And that's probably the thing that hurts me most about all of the coronavirus is not the way it's affected me, but the way it's affected her and other children and the way it's affecting how they grow up. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think there's a lot to see there, especially with um, school-aged kids who are stuck at home learning on the Zoom classes and not you know, get, getting the chance to socialize or get a halfway okay education um, on top of when they are in school being forced to wear masks all the time and um, just everything, everything going on from uh, you know, school age on up. Um, but do you, do you think that everyone, let's, let's say to, to generalize on, on the right, on, a, on one side of this conflict, um, do you think uh, all, all these parents are as uh, protective of their children as you or that they are, um, you know, as, let's just say ready. I mean, I'm, I'm sure most parents are as willing to lay down or, you know, willing to lay down their lives for their, their kids, but if, as ready, if they're not caught off guard or not, uh, if it's not a, oh, the doctor's an expert, if, um, I, I have to trust him for the medical care of my child as I have for, we have for generations and generations. And um, it, what do you think the situation is where are other parents as ready to uh, respond or um, be as protective as their, of their children uh, in, in this way as uh, you might be? Well, I'm not sure uh, how widespread it is. Um, I would say that there's definitely plenty of parents right now that are saying, you know, let's trust the experts, let's trust the doctors. Um, and so far, the way things have panned out, I'm just disappointed and I'm sad for my daughter and her future as far as it relates to all of these COVID restrictions and the changes they're making due to it. Um, I'm not quite to the point where I feel like her actual life is threatened or her well-being is threatened in a, in a really meaningful way that is going to require armed revolt. However, um, a lot of the stuff centering around this vaccine, I think, starts to encroach upon that future well-being and a number of things that are going on around the country and around the world, a number of the discussions that governments are having 
about getting this vaccine out to as many people as possible and ways to do that, some of those discussions include things like vaccinating children without their parents' consent. And that is where I think you will find that there is a substantial percentage of the country on both sides of the aisle that if you do anything, even if you are an expert and you say it's for their own good, if you do anything to their children without their consent, you will have problems. And, and I will say there was something um, here in D.C. recently. Uh, I forget if it passed or at what state of uh, um, what state it was at. But uh, there was a bill recently that would have allowed kids as young as I believe 12 to um, consent to their own medical treatment. Yeah. Uh, and I, th I think the uh, legislation was passing it or expected to pass it. And there was a bunch of uh, outcry in the city to, uh, to Mayor Bowser to veto it, if I remember correctly. Yeah. And there's, there's things like that all over the place. Um, there's even, you know, some stuff that's happening unofficially that, you know, the rumor mill being what it will, you can never really trust anything these days until you've seen a video of it. And even then you need to make sure it's not a deep fake. Uh, but you know, more insidious and less official things like, you know, perhaps telling you that what they're giving your child is a flu shot when in reality, what they're giving your child is the COVID shot. Um, when it or comes just out of this negative 200 degree two. freezer, you know it's a COVID shot. How about that? <laughs> right, exactly. Um, <laughs> but just conflating the two and being somewhat dishonest about it, uh, even in the medical fields, without the legislator getting involved. I mean, a, a lack of informed consent like that is, uh, um, I, I think it's a case for immediate malpractice suit into uh I, I don't know exactly how all that works but I, I imagine there's a immediate legal legal repercussion to take for that right well right? i mean i imagine there is or it doesn't there was before they have all of these special laws specifically for the covid vaccine because it is so new um now i don't know if that particular situation would fall under this but so far, what I've seen and the logic that I've heard from the people pushing all of this, it absolutely would not surprise me if they were protected in that situation from any sort of repercussions. Because if it saves just one life, Josh. <laughs> so uh, with the vaccine, um, do you have specific concerns that uh, if your daughter were to get it, that it would be... Uh, you know, that it would threaten her or be, um, be a danger uh, to her? I believe and I think that the science would back me up. It would be more dangerous for her to get the COVID vaccine than it would be for her to get COVID. Uh, considering the, the stats and the um, on coronavirus fatalities, yes, I'm pretty sure that immediately is, is backed up. So for a, uh, any, anyone under the age of 18. Yes, and... and I, I would rather her get it the way God intended. I would rather our the youth of our country have all gotten this so that this could have ended with them. Um, and we never would have had to worry about it again. And a bunch of us old farts that haven't taken care of ourselves would have been the only ones who had to pay the piper. 
but you know, instead, uh, we made sure to ruin our children's lives to make the last few years of our grandma's life slightly less painful. Yeah, the, the logic doesn't always add up with uh, some of these premises. Um, and with that, with um, looking for your, towards your daughter's future, do you have a uh, you know, strategy in mind or idea to uh, plan to um, you know, get around some of these uh, issues of uh, in society uh, that to where you, you want to, you can raise your daughter how you want to, or give her the best opportunities that you think you can. Did you have any uh, yeah plan there? Well, I mean, uh, if they make me leave society, I will. Uh, obviously, um, there's no world in which I am living and my daughter uh, is being told what to do by the government. Um, she's my daughter. Uh, I will make all of the decisions when it comes to what she's taught and how she is raised. And I'll just exit society at the point at which they make that impossible. Um, you know, my plan essentially is for starters, uh, you know, I have a hard line. My daughter is one. She never is going to wear a mask. So if in two or three years when she is old enough that in most states she will be required to wear a mask, I will roundly refuse under any circumstance to put her in one. And if I can't go somewhere without her or with her when she doesn't have a mask on, then I'm just not going to go there anymore. Um, so homeschooling is probably going to be a part of that because if they... Uh, make masks a requirement in school. I'm not going to send her to a school where they're socially distancing the students and making them all wear masks during PE. Mm -hmm. um, so, so with that whole kicked out of society premise, uh, what does that look like to you? How, how do you think that happens? And um, what, what does your life look like then? Well, I think that it will be a situation where the country is going to start dividing up between people who are vaccinated and people who aren't people who are scared of COVID and believe in all of these restrictions and people who aren't, um, and who don't. Um, so I, you know, I would hope that it would not be just me and my family. I would hope that there would be other families that were in the same boat as me. And, you know, I think the way that looks is there will be localities, whether that be towns or, you know, places in the country or even states and cities um, where people get together and they, they stop this nonsense. Um, and I think that's the only way that that will really work out well. Because uh, if it's just me, if I'm put out in an island by myself with my family, obviously, you know, my plan at that point would be to just hold out as long as I could. But Society has a way of forcing your hand when they want to. Um, you know, Killdozer Man is a great example of that, right? Wait, sorry, what's Killdozer Man? Um, the guy that the city council took his mechanic shop from him to give it to another business because it was going to be a, a larger tax, tax base. Well, you know, at, at the end of the day, uh, uh, these people will get what they want out of you um, if you're by yourself. You always have to have others with you to protect yourself. So, w with um, with creating localities, uh, 
towns, cities, uh, compounds, whatever. Um, do you do you think that uh, there would be you know issues still with um, uh, with state and federal level gov- government uh, control um, into things like uh, say water and electricity supplies, or or if you're working, uh, if you're trying to order food from a company, if you're not fully self sufficient uh, self sufficient um, with, uh, with with farming and agri- with yeah uh, farming and livestock, if you're uh, if they you know, won't deliver food to your area or if you can't get internet because uh, Comcast is not, um, you know, zoned or not allowed to work in your area or won't, won't agree to, um, you know, set up in your area. What, what do you, what do you see with some of these infrastructure things that we have in our uh, like society overall that, um, you know, breaking away from it or having these uh, sort of, sort of localities might uh, preclude? Well, I mean, that's where we get into more camp territory, right? Um, if you're starving people out, that's pretty cold. Uh, but I, I agree. I think we get there. I, I definitely think that they'll try to put the clamps down on anybody who stands out and you know doesn't starts bucking the trends um, and bucking the mandates and all of the public health edicts. Uh, I think they will, but uh, it, that's going to be a bad look, don't you think? Uh, telling people that they, you know, they can't I mean, get they don't food have, they don't or have to water. Air the news. Like yeah. people don't have to know about this. It's not a <laughs> right, right. When when the when the footage comes out, it's fake news. It's not necessarily a bad look if it's not a look at all. Well, I mean, in that case, that's the boogaloo right there. Uh, I mean, that's that's why you got to have friends. That's why it can't be just you. Um, you got to be able to make a lot of noise. So it's increasingly harder and harder to cover up. Which I guess the one silver lining here is that you see more and more of that out and about in the country at large where there's cracks here or there. You you see some of this percolating where again, I, I think I think we've accelerated the timeline for the Boogaloo. I think that absolutely, you know, they're going to crack down on this and they're going to use increasingly more draconian methods to try and get people to comply. Um, but I also absolutely think that uh, there's a lot of people out there like me that are just going to start saying no. Okay. Um, now, before we close out, there's one more thing I want to address, and that is the whole uh, Silicon Valley big tech um, aspect of all of this. They've had a bunch of influence uh, throughout the year, whether it comes to um, the, the whole protests and riots and Black Lives Matter movement uh, early in the year, um, the, then of course election time and the whole uh, uh, prevent misinformation campaign uh, and then coming to the Stop the Steal and uh, you know, continued um, censor- censorship with that sort of content. Uh, what, what's what's the status of big tech after this year, and where do you see it progressing from here? Uh, and then also with regards to two thirty C and and anything um, that's uh, any protection legal protections they have um, against or regarding moderation. Well, I mean, I guess we all better get used to calling them daddy because they're our daddy now. Um, I mean, they they're bigger and more powerful than ever. Uh, there's no. There's no stopping them at this point. Is it any wonder that the companies based on remote 
uh, interactions are one um, profiting yeah profiting off of this but two supportive of continued restrictions and supportive of people who are supportive of continued restrictions of these kinds um, it's just a it's a real shocker for me that that is the case let me tell you <laughs> yeah it's uh, it pretty much lines up directly with their business business <laughs> model if they can get more people on uh, zoom and facebook and twitter and set up the algorithms to where they're uh, it's more um you know argumentative style content that pops up in twitter feeds and facebook feeds that gets more engagement then uh it, it's it's the business model right there and when they throw on um various uh, disclaimers onto information and uh, on posts and um continue with uh, the, the sort of ad campaigns and whatever the, everything they've been doing it's um it, it adds up just in in their favor it seems like yes and they're they're setting themselves up they've picked a side um you know they are selling out to make sure that their side wins um it's it it, it is weird that in a free country we probably have a more powerful media than and I would I would include Facebook in the media now. Um, okay, and more manipulative. Consider themselves. Yeah, a more manipulative media than the USSR, China, North Korea. Um, this is some big league stuff that they are pulling right now. Uh, and and with that, to what extent do you see there these um. Uh, foreign influences like China um, in particular on uh, some of these media companies and how they're uh, promoting and or censoring information? Well, again, um, they picked a side, right? Uh, what we were talking about last year with Hong Kong was coming our way sooner than we ever could have thought. Um, but it's I mean, Hong now. Kong doesn't exist anymore. That's, the, that's what's right? happened. Yes, and, and now they're coming for us. Uh, um, yeah, absolutely. Um, that that's all part of it. Their that's their side. Uh, the globalists are definitely winning right now. Uh, you know, countries uh, around the world are going to be strongly encouraged to comply with not only coronavirus and COVID restrictions, but I mean you know climate change affects more than 0.05% of the population. <laughs> so I see no reason why after the furor over coronavirus dies down just a little bit before we come around with coronavirus 3 because this is actually SARS-2, everybody. Um, we're probably going to have a round of now we need to do the same thing only for climate change, which they've already started printing the news oh, articles yeah. about. It's been like three, three or four months. That's been a lot of headlines. Is uh, have been shifting some issues to climate change, um, and in, not necessarily imposing lockdowns in the same way. But uh, that, that's kind of the whole social and political landscape has been uh, shifted, or as it comes in waves, and uh, people. Um, you know, briefly get tired of coronavirus uh, coverage. It's a few weeks of climate change is every headline, and then back to coronavirus. So that, that that's how I've seen over the last couple months, at least. 
Oh, absolutely. Well, and the implicit bias in the system is nowhere more evident than there. Because if you remember early in the year when the restrictions started, do you remember all of the chat boxes and all the fact checks all over the place for all those pictures of like the, the dolphins and the whales and stuff? Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, wait. No, there was none of that. I mean, there were stories out there <laughs> here or there that would tell you, yeah, no, that's all bullshit. They're, those are fake pictures. There's not actually dolphins and whales coming into this, that, and the other. But Facebook didn't go on a media blitz to make sure everybody knew that that was false. I wonder why. And then it's cleverly one step removed from uh, from any sort of political agenda. Yeah, right. And then now that all the coronavirus stuff is coming around, and then you know the election stuff, now they they're fact checking everything. Now you know any meme, any picture has to have a little blurb on it that lets you know what bullshit it is, and they showed their hand like it, it's it's there for any rational and thinking human being to see uh, you just got to read so so with um over the last two months there have been two different uh, i believe the senate Judici- judiciary committee hearings um with the ceos of of big tech so uh, facebook twitter and google i think it was um and do you think those, uh, you know, and continuing that sort of uh, uh, addressing or um, interrogating uh, of big tech will amount to anything? Do you think uh, the President Trump's um, addressing the whole uh, Section 230C thing will amount to anything? Or is that kind of just a, a bunch of, um, you know, political windbaggery that's not, uh, not actually going to affect these uh, big tech CEOs who are laughing their way back to their offices. Yeah, no, it's a dog and pony show. It's, it's not going to do anything to them. I mean, what are, what are they going to do? Most of the, the people out there interrogating them want them to help them with their reelection campaign. Um, they're they're it. It's just to make us feel like they're doing something. There may be a few, members of Congress who actually want to get somewhere with that. But those are just the ones that aren't on the payroll. Not yet, at least. Yeah. Uh, the big tech's here to stay. Um, a couple of hearings aren't going to, aren't going to stop them. Uh, things going to stop them is the same that stopped British tea imports. Yeah, really. Um, okay. So with all of that, uh, everything we discussed this evening, I want, I want to end on one, one final question or one final thing to consider, which is the ultimate question, Boogaloo when? I'm going to go ahead and call it 2021. 2020 surprised okay. me. Um, 2021 isn't going to surprise me. Uh, I think I'm going to be right on this one. I think that if you look through history – it will bear out that we're right on the cusp of it. This is, we've checked all the boxes. Um, you know, we put the stamp on it. Now we just got to wait for that letter to get here. That's quite the, uh, quite the aggressive prediction, but uh, we'll see what happens. And we might have to talk again in the year uh, from the, I don't know, charred remains of our homes, uh, charred remains of our freedoms. How about that? Yeah, you'll be, we'll be doing the, the, 
CB radio version. <laughs> Undisclosed location in the upper Midwest. Uh, yep, recording from inside my Tesla coil, uh, a la uh, John McAfee. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Goodness gracious. So... I'm, I know we have a lot more that we want to talk about, and we'll, I know we'll do that over a drink sometime, perhaps in a hot tub. But uh, thank you for joining me this evening, James. Um, and we'll, we'll see how the next year pans out, see how these predictions uh, come about, and if uh, any of our observations of this last year, um, you know, exactly, as the stories keep coming out, how true those end up being. Uh, any, any final statements? Well, um, I hope I was more wrong about this or i'm hope i'm more wrong about next year than i was about this year um i i really hope that we start missing on some of this stuff because we could use a break right now yeah, definitely um and i i like the uh you know the hopeful outlook at the future let's say i would never wish more that i was wrong <laughs> and with that uh thank you again james for joining me and uh, thank you everyone for listening have a good night thanks again josh